0: Welcome to the Serrano Brothers Podcast. We are twin brothers who are pastors in the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. We talk about faith, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, culture, and anything else we think is interesting. Thanks for joining. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Uh, We are uh, interviewing pre-nominees for the office of bishop and the sierra pacific synod and today we have the reverend jeff johnson on jeff welcome to
1: the podcast it's great to see you guys
0: uh could you tell us first uh where you're serving and what conference you're in
1: i mean um the uh, bridges conference which is kind of the east bay and uh, uh, it goes across all the bridges in the Bay Area, and I serve at uh, as the pastor at University of Lutheran Chapel in Berkeley, which is the university church at the University of California. So right. we're, uh, um, yeah.
0: And, and and let's you're being kind of modest here, Pastor Jeff. You also work at Pacific Lutheran Theological Seminary.
1: I do. I have. uh, I work with you, and I have worked with Josh on the spiritual care team at uh, PLTS, and I've been a part of that team uh, for maybe the past ten years, and it has been a great, a really great joy in my life to be a part of this mentoring and conversation with students, it um, uh, and faculty and staff, and I'm really grateful to uh, Phyllis Anderson, who initially gave me the opportunity to be on the team, and to uh, Ray and Alicia and all of the, uh, the leaders at PLTS who allow me to continue to be on the team. And it gives me the chance to work alongside people like you. And I am I'm very grateful for that. And uh, we're in different conferences, so we wouldn't see each other all that often on a regular basis and uh we see each other jeremy you and i see each other during the school year weekly which is uh a really great thing josh we miss you miss you on the team
0: i i really loved being on that team that was really
1: really great oh my god it was fantastic
0: Uh, Yeah. (laughs) uh, Well, Pastor Jeff, we want people to get to know you. And, and I think one of the ways that we, that do rather than just saying, you know, tell us about your childhood or something like that, you know, rather than I got a specific question for you. Right. Can you tell us what your favorite childhood memory is either inside the church or outside the church?
1: Yeah, uh, definitely. It's uh, outside the church. My favorite childhood memory is, um, summer vacation. We grew up in uh, Southern California. My parents uh, bought a new house that was being built at the edge of a suburb in Simi Valley. And behind us, there was open, undeveloped space. And uh, because it had been a construction zone, there was all kinds of leftover uh, construction materials. So every summer of my childhood growing up until that property was then built out i don't i don't remember when that was every summer we would go to that open space and build uh cities forts uh stuff that's my favorite memory of childhood i um spent no time sitting at home and all of my time on my bicycle and building stuff in these uh vacant spaces behind our house with my siblings uh, I have a younger sister and a younger brother and with uh all the neighbors neighbors who live neighborhood children who lived on this uh on this street
0: really cool That's yeah
1: awesome. no it's super cool and um you know I think it comes from uh I had an erector set I don't even know if they make those anymore but I grew oh, up yeah, with an yeah. erector set uh-huh. and I grew up with um more Legos than would fit into any kind of box so I had this I, I was kind of this little builder. I built lots of stuff and uh, loved forts.
0: That's cool. Uh, you know, a lot of times uh, people don't know. Uh, like fast forward to today, uh, like what pastors do, kind of in their off time. You know, do you have any like hobbies or interests that you pursue outside of uh, uh, outside the church?
1: Yeah, no, I have no hobbies. I work a hundred percent of the time. Oh, sorry. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I I have lots of hobbies, and it's you know it's it's difficult sometimes to find uh, time for them. We just we just got back. My husband and I um, just got back from a trip that we took with my parents. My parents are in their mid eighties, and we try each summer to go someplace with them. Oh, nice! And uh, so traveling is a hobby, um, but I think. I think probably my most, the most interesting thing that I love to do is um, uh, uh, ancestor work. So wow. I uh, have a tree, it's not very big, it's about 2800 people. And I'm I'm not really interested in numbers of people on my tree, I'm interested more in the stories that I can dig up on people in my tree. So for example, Uh, last year when I was on sabbatical, I discovered that my grandmother, who, um, was a first generation, uh, Danish immigrant, her parents both came from Denmark, um, on my mother's side, and my grandmother on my, my grandmother, uh, my grandmother's mother on my father's side, that they, um, well, both of my grandmother's mothers died in childbirth. Um, and I did, I discovered this right at the time when, um, we were having, uh, these kind of crazy debates in our country about, um, prenatal care and, mm. um, choice and all of these things. And to have two, uh, women in my family who were, you know, a couple of generations removed die in childbirth, uh, brought, brought that you know, political conversation home to me, mm. uh, in a way. So I, I like to dig into uh, into stories, into family stories, family histories, and uncover uh, uncover um, joyful details and also complicated uh, details of um, the lives of my ancestors. Um, details that made them who they who they were. Um, and That's awesome. Made me who I am. So ancestry yeah. work travel and um building i continue to build i uh you know (laughs) continue to uh do stuff around the house and uh build you know decks and all kinds of things
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, your house is the only house i've ever been jealous of where you can (laughs) control all of the lights with your voice. That, sometimes. Is, the, that is the coolest thing I have ever yes. seen. Sometimes ever. it works,
1: but it's it can be very frustrating because these little light switches take forever to update. And so sometimes you can't control any lights. But when it's working, it's uh it's it's very fun. And that's, you know, I, I love gadgets. And that's just uh my husband is not as much of a fan. As the gadgets as I am, so um, yeah.
0: I, I just want to turn it on. I just want to turn on the lights. <laughs> exactly, so exactly, exactly. I don't exactly. want to talk to the house. Just turn it on the light switch.
1: <laughs> he'll he'll walk around the house and he'll say, um, you know, turn on all the lights now. And you know, it drives me nuts. About the house, the house lights up, and it's, it's very cute.
0: Does um, it work in Spanish too?
1: It uh, does not work in Spanish. Uh-huh. Yeah, it, <laughs> <laughs> great it's it's a good thing my spanish is really poor but, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh,
0: so uh, um you got vacation you have building you have gadgets and you know um and and that's great for for off time uh what do you do what spiritual practice do you cling to and do you find yourself coming back to over and over again um that really connect you to god
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I, um, my, my primary spiritual practice is the Eucharist. And, um, it's the place where I know the unconditionality of God's love for me, for me in my deepest despair, in my, um, deepest struggle at the, at the moment of my greatest, uh, challenge or, um, self doubt or, um, it was, you know, prior to the pandemic, I couldn't have imagined a, um, a week without the Eucharist. And I think that was the most difficult time for me. Um, we, uh, fasted, uh, from Eucharist as a community during sequester. So we, um, we, uh, then celebrated Eucharist when we were all able to come back together. Um, and I, it was incredibly painful uh, for me. And I had to um, develop other ways of uh, finding uh, deep encounter with um, with God's unconditional love. Um, we developed practices of morning prayer during the pandemic that we hadn't developed uh, or that we hadn't kind of used uh, prior. Um, and that that was that was incredibly connecting for me. Um, and it was such a relief when we were able to come back together and uh, share bread and wine together and know uh, know from the inside um, that God's love is for us. So um Eucharist is my is my primary spiritual practice. I, I do lots of other things. I you know I go for walks. I um, crave a time where I'm not I'm not thinking or reading or speaking, but just sitting in silence or being in silence. I need that time. i I have an extroverted side that I've developed, but I'm a pretty strong introvert, and so I need time to recreate just by myself. Um, and it's, and during those times I know, um, and, and am enveloped by, um, the loving kindness I know at the center of God, but it's, it's really Eucharist, which is my primary spiritual practice. Yeah, that's
0: great. Thank you so much for, that's a great, I love that answer. Um, do you, you know, ministries has its highs and its lows, um, you know, and, and I think that we Uh, should really hold on to our successes in ministry and really would you, could you tell us a time where you were, you did something that was successful in ministry and that you really love that you were part of that thing.
1: Yeah. I, there, there are really lots of moments in ministry that have um, created a, a joy for me. I have I really privileged to be, I, I've been the pastor of two communities, the community here at the chapel in Berkeley and the community of First United Lutheran Church in San Francisco, both of which are, are small communities and um, are creative experimental communities liturgically and at work in the world. They take seriously um, our connection to neighbors and uh, the change that we seek in the world around us both of them uh, do that um, and so there are l- lots of examples about um things that uh, brought deep joy into my life joy that I wouldn't have access otherwise um you know the one the one that pops to mind right now is, um, our creation of a network of Lutheran Volunteer Corps houses in the East Bay shortly after I came to the chapel. Uh, we, uh, served the University of California and we were in at that point relationship with the Episcopal Church. The Episcopal Church had a service corps house, uh, in the Berkeley flatlands. But there were no Lutheran Volunteer Corps houses out on the West Coast, uh, south of, uh, Seattle, Tacoma and, um, and we thought there should be. Um, LBC wasn't interested in expanding. They um, didn't think they had the capacity, but, but we were really interested in helping them understand that um, LBC houses could really make a difference in our area and were successful. The Vesper Society gave us a little grant of money to organize. We organized LBC, we organized three houses out here, and uh, eventually they were incorporated into the network. Um, And it was such joy to watch LBC move from a definite no to a yes, and for these houses to happen, and for the synergy that developed between the LBC houses and the ES, the Episcopal Service Core house, and the campus ministries, Episcopal and Lutheran at Cal. uh, It was fantastic. So that is a success among many joys that I've experienced in ministry and continue to experience in these experimental, creative, small, um, liturgically centered um, Lutheran communities that I serve. Hmm.
0: Hmm. Hmm. All right, so we're, we're changing lanes on you now. All um, right, here
1: we go. I'll turn um, around.
0: And, and uh, uh, you know, there are three expressions of the church, right? There's the church wide office, the synod, and then the
1: congregation. I thought you were going to say sad, sadder, and saddest. Okay. Yeah. Well, there there doesn't
0: seem to be that ethos right now, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. There's a lot of doom and gloom out there right oh, now. Um, right. And um, so, so, in your understanding, what's the function of the Senate office?
1: Oh, I think it's really simple. I think um, I think the Senate office is the place that helps. Uh, congregations and ministries, I think sometimes we get too focused on congregations, but congregations and ministries in this area, congregations, ministries, regions in this area connect with um, resources and pastors, and the Synod Office helps to support uh, congregations, ministries, and regions in the work that we do. So I I, I think the Synod office doesn't need to be huge. I think we can have a, you know, kind of efficient, a um, well-run, a smaller uh, Synod office. We have a lot of territory in our Synod, which is kind of difficult. Uh, the uh, bishop and the office uh, travel a lot, um, but I think it's to connect congregations, ministries, and regions with one another, with resources, and with um, pastoral staff, with rostered ministers, with pastors and deacons uh, in our church. Um, there, There is a function of the Synod Office that we don't often think about, and that I think is to connect our area with other areas, and we can do that through the church-wide expression, kind of, we think of the church-wide expression as Chicago, as Higgins Road is this location in an office building close to the airport. But I think the church-wide expression is more than that. I think it's our, our relationships with each other. So, for example, when the hurricane was bearing down on Los Angeles, um, we were finding ways to try to connect with people we knew in the synod that um, where Los Angeles is located. Or when the fire happened on uh, Maui, on the island, um we were trying to find ways to connect with a different Synod a different area uh, um down in in Southern California in san diego and, and Hawaii so I so I think the churchwide expression tries to connect these areas to to one another and I think we do that through the Synod office. I think the Synod office helps make that happen so I
0: that's think good the Bishop
1: like- I think the bishop is uh, a connector um between ministries regions in our area and a connector between other bishops and leaders uh, nationally and and then you can also think internationally but that's you know that's beyond the three expressions um yeah
0: let me let me follow Uh,
1: that uh, go ahead go ahead no go ahead let, let me
0: follow that up uh uh pastor jeff um we my kind of read on our synod is that we are disconnected. Um, Churches are disconnected from each other. And, and how do you see the synod office being able to, and, and, and you as the Bishop making those connections?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I've been in the synod for over 30 years since my, um, Coordination in San Francisco. And uh people have always talked about our synod being disconnected. And they've um they've talked about it as you know, as a geographical issue, they've talked about it as a political issue, the Bay Area split from the Central Valley. Um, they've talked about it as a political issue, conservative liberal. Um, and there have been a variety of responses. There were other I think there were uh, there there was some time in our synod when we tried to solve the problem of disconnected disconnection by uh establishing synodical offices in different places um i'm not sure that worked very well um there was another time where we had uh, synod staff members who were living in different places um and trying to make i i think um, recently we, we have, we've changed course and we're, we're trying to empower regional deans, conference deans. And I think there's an, I think there's an answer to the problem of disconnection in that direction where we, the centered office doesn't answer the disconnection problem, but we build connections on a regional level, on a conference level. And the Senate office helps to make that happen. So Resources have been freed up to help um, pay deans. We've never paid deans before, but we now offer deans a small stipend uh, to do some work regionally, and I, I think that's going to um, help immensely with the problem of disconnection in our area. In our area, um, uh, there are a group of four five clergy, um, there are clergy in our area, the gather weekly for tech study. And that's been happening for a long time and that builds relationships and connections. But this group has decided that we're creating a hub space together to do work together. That's not tech study. We gather around a table on a regular basis. We all are doing our work and the synergy that happens when we're in the same work hub around the same table is, um, yeah, incredibly interesting. Huh. Um we're now doing a joint we're doing programs jointly in a way that we hadn't really before. We're having joint worship services in a way that we hadn't before. All of that helps with the problem of disconnection. And um so so I think we're headed in the right direction. I don't think we solve disconnection with bureaucracy. I think we solve disconnection with relationships, and all of those things start locally. It's not the Senate office can't figure this out, but we can figure this out together locally, regionally and and the Senate office can help that to happen um and make that make that possible
0: yeah that's that's good. I think that that goes into this next question that i that I was going to ask is um you know, you said in your paperwork you you quoted Thomas Friedman, which I thought was awesome because I like Thomas Friedman too. Uh, that everything, everything ever. is going to change all at once. And then you said like you said resiliency is our principal challenge if we're going to weather the dramatic change that's happening around us. Uh, how do you how does that take flesh in the bishop's office? How oh. are you How are you going to embody in this synod office and cultivate resilience? Uh, both in the synod office and amongst congregations. How do you, how is, how's that going to work out?
1: How's that happen? Yeah, that's a great question. I I think resiliency as opposed to um, some of the, some of the unhealthy patterns that have taken root in our synod. Um, So it is, it's no surprise to everyone that, uh, denominations are, a, are having a hard time of it. It's not just Lutherans. Yeah. Um, every churches are having a hard time of it. There's the trust issue, there's the um, you know there's the uh, transparency there are all kinds of reasons. There's a professor at Santa Clara University who has said that um, the church is just is, is in the process of right-sizing, that we kind of had ballooned in the fifties and sixties, and it's taken us a couple of decades to, 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 right size. I, I like that idea that we, um, we were kind of inflated and now we're, um, we're going back to, uh, essentials, um, now more than ever, as things are changing radically and rapidly around us, um, I think we have to be, um, more efficient, more flexible, and we have to stop doing things like um, e- eating eating up small congregations just to pay for the life, which is what we do now, right? We sell small congregations when they dwindle, we sell off their property to fund the synod budget or to fund um, some new uh, ministry idea. And I don't think that's resilient. I don't think it's sustainable. I don't think it will set us up for the future. I think instead we need to create um, uh, uh, um, sustainable sources of revenue to cover kind of basic bureaucratic costs to, um, to help with dwindling financial resources. I don't think we should just spend it. I think we should um, uh, manage uh, the resources that we've been given because the the future is going to be harder than the present. And the the present is is hard enough. So I think the um, Senate office can set a tone that doesn't exist right now. Um, Can set a tone and can uh, make sure that regions have options that are more than simply closing up shop and dwindling but that will build um, more robust connections on a regional level that will create resources for ministry that exist into the future um, that will help uh, those of us who are currently worshiping connect with others, but, but preserve something for those who come, come after us. Because I think we're going to, we're going to get hit with things that we can't anticipate and we can't we can't um we can plan that uh it's going to be harder and i i think we need to be more robust in in this system that we create that the last thing i would say is um you know you you talked about the three expressions earlier congregation synod church life and um i'm a fan of congregations i i think ministry happens in congregations. And I don't think congregations exist in silos. I think congregations exist in networks. And I think we have to strengthen those networks. And we might call them conferences or neighborhoods or regions, but right now our networks aren't strong enough. And when one congregation's in trouble, we let it die um, instead of helping, helping it to... Um, find its way back to the center of the network, right? And maybe it's death or its transformation makes the network stronger. So I think we I think focusing only on congregations or is is part of the problem. I think we have to focus on the network of congregations and make that network uh stronger,
0: yeah, I think that's I think there's something to be said about having that sort of network idea there um i can tell you from like my own my own congregation when when i talk that way um i don't use the network language but but um you know it's so hard to get members to understand um that like you know maybe merging with another congregation is the best plan you know uh when they baptized all their kids at that baptismal font or right. stood at that altar for their wedding day, you know? Um, and, and I think that's a challenge that we also face, you know, on the individual and the synod, led, you know, on the local congregation and is is trying to help people imagine a future. And so I'm really glad that you talked about the future of the synod, you know, and not just, you know, a five-year plan, but like what is, what is our synod going to look like in 25 years, right? right? Like, and I think there's a... Um, what my congregation was established in 1947, they were thinking 50 years in the future. You know what I mean? And, and I wonder if because of the, like you said, the right sizing of church now, if we've stopped thinking 50 years in the future and if we need to get back to that, you know what I mean?
1: Um, Yeah. I, I think two things, right. I, I do think that a lot of us have just, we can't see past five years from now. We don't, we actually don't believe that there's a future for the Lutheran church in our area. We, we've accepted the idea that churches are dying and that in 50 years, there aren't going to be any, we're not going to be a viable organization. And, and that allows us to do things. That allows us just to kind of use the resources up on ourselves. It allows us to create bureaucracies that are way too big. It allows us to do a bunch of stuff that um and i think on some level we think we're on a sinking ship and i don't buy that i have the same kind of you know it might be my builder mentality from the from the uh you know the um the the place where i grew up the summer summer vacations where i i built stuff but i i really want to leave our synod in a place and i want to to see our synod 20, 30, 40 years from now, not doing the kind of things that we did in the 1950s because the world has radically shifted, right? Everything, everywhere is gonna change all at once. How do we get ready for some of those those things? Um, But uh, the second part, uh, you know, merger, merger um, is a congregational framework. You merge two congregations. I think I think we need to help people step beyond that into a network framework and talk about um, uh, ministry in this area. Not just, it's as hard for people at the chapel to have this conversation um, as it is for other churches. But I think it's essential so that we see ourselves in ministry with other communities together in this area and the network becomes as important as our siloed uh, congregations. I think there are other churches that have more of a sense of this. I think Roman Catholics, for example, have more of a sense that they're together in this, not just one single parish, but they're together in a diocese in a way that it doesn't feel like we're together in our synod or even in our conference sometimes.
0: I I think the Holy Spirit, Pastor Jeff, is doing something in the Lutheran church right now um, because this is exactly the stuff that uh, me and pastor Rustin Comer over at St. Matthew are talking about. And, and we're talking about how do we see each other as extensions of each other's ministry?
1: Yes, exactly. That's exactly it. Jeremy, that's exactly it. We, pastor, Sarah at uh, hope and Elsa Bronte and pastor Claire, and Pastor D, we're all kind of talking about the idea of not of being part of a pastoral team. Yeah. We're we're pastors in small churches, all of us. We have small churches, we each have a church council, but we're already starting to talk about what does it mean to be a part of a pastoral team hmm. that has responsibility for an area? Yeah. That's a different kind of thing, right? And it's it's very evocative and very creative um and a bit experimental so um it should be exciting if we could have those kinds of conversations all over our thing.
0: do you i mean obviously there's going to be a a plan going forward for a bishop's office right hopefully you have thought about how would you, and it seems like like we even need like a strategic plan and so i don't i don't i don't want to know what the plan is but like how would you go about developing a strategic plan
1: yeah that's a great question so you know i think i would um we we've done a series of strategic plans here at the chapel and they're 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 really good sometimes the problem with strategic plans is they're too far out right we we do we take too long to do them and they're too far out and they end up living you know, on the shelf (laughs) behind me, right? So I, and when somebody asks me what the strategic plan says, I go to the book to find it. Kind of like, you know, we, most of us go to the book for our mission statement, right? We don't, we don't really know what, what the purpose is after the plan has gotten done. I, so, so I think we, we will be developing strategic plans but i'm much more excited about the idea of us embracing um this notion of experimentation in our synod with new and different um relationships and networks and trying new patterns for ministry that that might be at the center of some strategic plan but i think that's um i think that notion is going to be a hard spell in our synod and I I think we have to work at it. I think we have to have conversation about what that might mean. Because I think, uh, yeah. The, the other idea is that, uh, you know, the synod office right now feels, um, this, the location of the synod office feels kind of disconnected from everything right now. and. I think we need a synod office that works with us. So I I think it should be a synod office that's in proximity to, uh, you know, maybe to the seminary, right? Maybe it's proximate to the seminary. Maybe there's shared space at the seminary for a synod office where you, you don't go to the synod office, you go to the Lutheran center, right? Where there's a seminary, there's a synod office, there's other stuff that's um, Mm -hmm. other stuff that's happening. So there, and I think we need a um, small, efficient, um, deeply motivated and engaged staff uh, that can, um, that can do what's needed to be done on a similar level w- without stressing out, um, you know, the resources and the, the budget in a way that's just not going to work in the future. And we need to get used to that. Uh, right now,
0: mm-hmm. how do you in 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 you know kind of how do you see envisioning you know with something like that with a with a localized senate office? We are such a big area that we have people in Wairika, which is like the very top of the state, and people out in Nevada. You know how do how do you see kind of
1: yeah
0: holding them with That's with that
1: super great question i you know i do think that the answer to that question is different after the pandemic than it was before the pandemic i think we are all online in a way now that we never were and we weren't capable of and we were afraid of before the pandemic so the idea i I mean it might have been it might have been an interesting idea before the pandemic to have Encourage Zoom meetings throughout the Synod, but nobody would have done it. Um, Everybody would have been freaked out by the technology and everybody would have complained about, you know, the lack of in-person gatherings and all these things. I think post-pandemic, we understand the limits and we understand the capacity of of, uh, online organizing. So I, I think that's a tool that the Synod can use um, the synod office can use. I, I also think that although there might be a there might be a central location where we have support staff and we have some desks and we have a space, uh, the people who are staff for the synod are going to be out in the synod a lot. And it doesn't to be out in the synod doesn't mean you have to drive to Fresno to the office in Fresno or drive to Sacramento to the office in, in Sacramento, you set up space in those locations on a regular basis uh, for connection. You, you go to the places where um, the network is functioning, right? Or where the pastors are connecting mm-hmm. and uh, the congregations are... So I think the Senate office has, has to relate to networks of congregations, to conferences, um, I, I think conferences can be more than simply political entities they can be relational entities more powerful entities than than they have been to this point I think we're moving in that direction and I think the bishop and the Senate office need to re- relate strongly to them um not so so there there is a Senate office but I expect the bishop and the staff the the staff of the office of the bishop to be um, out and about a lot, um, where where people are. Let's, let's, let's a, continue
0: this conversation, like about the the synod staff. Uh, what do you like? What sort of giftings do you think your staff is going to need to have to complement your your own
1: giftings? yeah that's a that's a great question. so um i'm hmm, I, I'm really interested in a staff team. Um, so I'm interested in people who are collaborators and uh, people who are um, you know if efficient and organized those are just kind of um bland words. but um uh, people who can kind of get details done. I um, I think we need to make some progress in, as a synod around some 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 key issues. For example, um, mobility we it, it needs to be a little bit easier, right? For um, our mobility process, our first call process, the way candidates move from no job to a job, it has to be it has to be more efficient so i'm interested in people who um who can think their way into um changing some of these Im- embedded processes in in a way that are responsive to the needs of candidates a uh, clergy who need to move and of congregations I, th- I think that's another place we need to make some changes there's when the, when the Roman, uh, Roman Catholic Church down the street, Newman, lo- lost their priest six years ago, they lost their priest on a Sunday. They're, they're a 2,000-member parish, lost their priest on a Sunday, and the next Sunday they had a new priest who's been there, and that's how all the transitions at, Newman's, at Newman have happened since I've been here at the chapel for 23 years, from one Sunday to the next, and they didn't skip a beat. Well, we might have different relationships with our pastors and we might organize differently and we might have a different kind of call process. But every time there's an interim, we don't have to kind of have these excruciatingly long waits between when a pastor leaves and when when a new pastor comes. Because what we sacrifice in those waits is momentum. And that's especially difficult for small churches. Small churches die in the midst of those extended transitions. Now, there are always exceptions, right? Paragations that need extra time or they need to, you know, unhook from a pastor in order to kind of establish a new relationship with a new pastor. Or there are some unhealthy, um, uh, patterns at work. But by and large, I think churches are moving, they're moving, they're on the move, and they need people just to kind of help them continue that. And our process feels a little Byzantine sometimes a little. um... So I would be interested in staff people who are interested in opening those things, opening those questions up, and not just um, doing what always has been done, because the church is a unique nonprofit organization. Right, and it can have these opening it up and uh, trying some new things to fix some, some of these uh, some of these problems. They're doing this in other synods. They're addressing wait time and they're looking at the length the length of interims and people are trying to take this seriously. I I think we can do it as well. So that's good. Um, uh, w- one more thing is um. I think our synod staff, I know that I lead with joy and enthusiasm and, um, but but I think our synod staff needs to also, I think when synod staff shows up, um, they, they need to bring energy into the room, not drain energy from the room, but bring energy into the room and not be the people who, you know, we know to be the, know to kind of, shut down the conversations but really be people who can open up possibilities for um so in in that sense they we would share i think some of those leadership qualities but i i think i would expect that i would expect senate staff when they show up to bring energy to open up possibilities to listen deeply to build relationships um yeah it's good one of the
0: the You know, in addition to mobility, uh, that which you talked about, um, one of the things, unfortunately, that you will have to deal with as Bishop is uh, conflict. Uh, How would you name your conflict resolution style? Or, Or what is your conflict resolution style?
1: Yeah. I, um, That's a great question. Uh, You know, there was a couple of years ago when uh, when we had a pastors gathering and all kind of professional leadership gathering. And we had a speaker who came in and who said, if the Senate, if all the Senate ever does is mobility and conflict, uh, you're never going to address the real issues that um, we're we're dealing with. Right. Because everything everywhere is changing all the time um, or all at once. so, I think there is a role for the Senate Office in conflict mediation, but it it's a I think there are some boundaries around that role. I think for the Senate Office to get uh, involved in solving congregational or ministry conflict, I I think is the wrong um, is is the wrong role for the Senate Office. I think we have to make available. Conflict mediators, and we have to set up processes that people can engage, and they need to be serious about these processes, right? Parroquias need to be serious about conflict resolution. Um, I think between clergy, you know, there's a um, there's a song there's a song by the the Brilliance the um, group the the Brilliance um, on their album called Brother which uh, it's, there's a lyric, it goes something like, um, when I look into the eyes of my, and most Christians, I think, want to say neighbor, right? Um, But their lyric says enemy. When I look into the eyes of my enemy and see my brother. Hmm. That's, I, I think we have conflict in our story. And our story doesn't tell us that we have to fix it necessarily. It says that we have to sit with it. We have to be in it. We have to expect it. uh, We can't run from it. And we will discover siblings in the midst of this conflict where we have wronged one another or where we are at odds with one another. Maybe we wouldn't use the term enemy, right? When I look into the eyes of my enemy. But there's the same kind of at oddsness mm-hmm. among us that there is often, and so I, I think my conflict management style is to be direct. It's to um, uh, it's to encourage um, uh, uh, to to tell the to not pretend to tell the truth. Um, and to um, have people move uh, through it, not expecting, not expecting it all just to be fixed or to go away, but expecting to discover um, siblings
0: mm.
1: in the midst of the resolution. So uh, I, I think that's where the promise lives. right? I think the promise lives in our willingness to um, see each other through and not give up on each other in the midst of really tough, tough things. And I have experienced some tough things in our synod, and I am deeply, deeply grateful for the, for the people who at one point Point may not have wanted to have anything to do with me, that they didn't give up on me. And similarly, that I haven't given up on them. I haven't given up on the church or on the Synod. And I, I think that's what makes, that's part of what defines us as church is that we, even even if we can't all individually do this as a collective, we try not to give up on each other. And I think we, that's really, um,
0: yeah. yeah. Sorry, I got you off. Uh, I just no, think that's no, beautiful. Sorry. No, I think that's that's beautiful, Pastor Jeff, because uh, <laughs> I think you were being modest when you said <laughs> <laughs> you've had some tough things happen. Uh, I thought the same thing. <laughs> considering, I think everybody knows your story, you know? Um, um, and and so that, I think that was really modest of you. and And I really appreciated your answer. And I think, you know, connecting that to how you envision staff Bringing energy into a room, um, and and being joyful and hopeful about things that that I think there's a real connection there for you. Um, yeah. I I I wonder if there's a connection. I should say, at least I see it. Um, yeah. uh, okay. So so these are we got like two two like just questions, and these are these are more up to you to, to answer them how you want to, and then we're gonna go into this kind of rapid fire questions and
1: excellent.
0: Um, all right. Uh. Okay, so I'm going to ask both of them at the same time, and you can just take them as you choose. What, what didn't we ask you that you feel like we should have? And what do you, what do you want us to know about you in uh, as it relates to being bishop? So ha- answer yeah, just, those how you how you feel. Yeah, is there something that you think we should have asked you? Um, and then, what do you want us to know about
1: you? Yeah. yeah. Um yeah, I mean I'm I'm actually really glad that you didn't ask me what my favorite bible passage was. Um <laughs> but I I expected you to, right? So I'm glad that you didn't. I um uh you know, might have expected although I think it came out in my answers you to ask some question about why church period, right? Given that almost almost everybody I know at the university or I know in this neighborhood is a part of the nuns or duns community, right? They want nothing to do with the church or they're done with the church period. Right. So they walk by, they love that we've, we've repainted our building. Right. So it's this bold, vibrant color, but they don't, they don't want anything to do with us or Newman or any of the other churches. So that why question, right. Of, um, um, And it, it's connected to a lot of stuff that we were we were talking about, so I might have expected that. Um, uh, what What was the second part of your question? Oh. I'm sorry about this. I'm brain dead right
0: now. No, it's all good. What do you want us to know about you as it relates to being bishop? What What else besides our conversation? Do you Do you just want us to know?
1: You know, I think um, I think if you if you talk to people at the chapel who are who are really mixed about this possibility, because um, uh, we we really love working together and we have loved working together and we can envision working together for quite a while longer. So they're um, they're uh, they're excited about this. They're you know, they're um, the community feels, I think, appropriately honored in um my nomination which is really great and they're really they're really conflicted but if you were to talk to them they would um they would talk about the energy and i used the word joy before but the energy and enthusiasm that i bring to this task of ministry and i think i would bring i think i would bring that same energy to the task of bishop because uh the, ch- the church has made all the difference in my life and i think it can make the difference in the lives of the duns and the nuns and everybody who really doesn't want to have anything to do with us because we haven't been relevant and we haven't been trustworthy and um uh, I I think uh, the church has, a po- because our story of God's unconditional loving kindness is so powerful. And this is the story that we see uh, in Jesus, that we experience in the Eucharist, that we practice in reparations and forgiveness and confession. Um, it's the story that causes us to try to find our siblings in the midst of conflict.
0: I know that I know. for me, that joy has really shown, um, in, in this, uh, in this conversation today from you, um, uh, our last segment, we're doing this with everybody, with anybody, right, we okay. ever interview. Okay. our rapid questions. Uh, there's going to be 10 of them and, uh, whatever kind of comes to mind. Right. All right. Pastor Jeff, uh, which food can you eat every day? Sushi. What's your favorite movie genre?
1: Oh, uh, drama, thriller, action.
0: Salty, sweet, or savory. Savory. In addition to the Bible, because every pastor will say the Bible. Which book would you like with you on a deserted island?
1: Uh, anything written by Eric Larson and his like little historical novels.
0: What fills your cup?
1: Oh, uh, swimming.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, what depletes your cup?
1: Uh, oh, what depletes my cup? Um, too much. Too much talking. Too much. Um, too much.
0: Yeah. What's your favorite
1: holy place? I. I think um, my favorite holy place is around uh the table when um there it's a thin space for me. It's when I'm connected to those I'm with and to those that have gone before and to those that are coming after.
0: What what was one piece of good advice that you've been given? <laughs>
1: uh wow um uh, to run to the courthouse and get this particular document and sign it immediately
0: wow okay Um,
1: (laughs) (laughs) what does rest look like for you uh um time uh time with myself time um in silence, um time in the forest, um time like walking around the neighborhood, but it's mostly time and it's mostly quiet.
0: And lastly, what do you hope God will say to you when you enter the pearly gates?
1: Whew. Uh I I I hope that I'll enter the pearly gates. I, I hope that I'll be admitted. And um I actually never think about the curly gates. So that's an, it's a fascinating <laughs> question. This is the stumper of the of the day. That's the last um, one. <laughs> the last one is the stumper. Um, you know, I I I actually don't I hope I hope um I hope God does to me what my mother did uh, the first time we saw each other after the pandemic he didn't say a word she just ran up <clears throat> and she embraced me in a way that we couldn't during the pandemic right we couldn't do that through our so it was year it was two years that we hadn't done that and she just embraced me and I hope that's what God does at the pearly gate uh, no words necessary just, I want to feel that embrace.
0: Pastor Jeff Johnson, thank you so much for being a part of this podcast.
1: Um, Josh and Jeremy, it's really, really great to see you. Thanks for the invitation and um, blessings on the rest of your day.
0: Everybody, this has
1: been the Serrano Brothers Podcast. Thanks for listening.